Hello, and welcome to the White's Chapel Sermon Podcast. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen to our weekly sermons. This is a quick way to enjoy or even revisit a recent message. Well, in case you missed it, my name is Anne-Marie Berg. I'm one of our pastors here at White's Chapel. It's my privilege to serve in here every week, and I'm so excited to be able to talk to you about the next section of our Blueprint series. So through the last few weeks, we have been taking a closer look at what it means to be the church, at who we are and where God is calling us forward. So we started a few weeks ago with our motto, where tradition meets today. And then we talked about engaging the heart through missions and outreach. And last week, we talked about stirring the soul through worship. And this evening, we continue with the next part of our vision statement, challenging the mind through Christian education and discipleship. And so, because we're talking about challenging the mind, I thought that maybe I would prepare something a little challenging for all of us. So we're gonna have a little pop quiz today. I'm gonna put four statements up on our screen and it's gonna be your job to discern which one of these four is actually in our scripture. So four statements, One of them is really in the Bible, and it's up to you to decide which one. You don't have to answer out loud. You don't have to raise your hand or do anything. This is just in in the silence of your own mind, and it's between you and God. So here is our first one. When the trumpets sound, those who have faithfully gathered will be raptured, meeting Christ in the clouds. And our second one, thus cleanliness is next to godliness. And our third one, the walls that have held us back will fall down and will sing hallelujah. And the fourth one, in much wisdom is much aggravation. The more knowledge, the more pain. So I want you all to take a second. Think about which one of these might really be in our scripture and just decide in your own mind which one you think it might be. Okay, I think we're ready. So if you guessed one, two, or three, I'm sorry, the correct answer was number four. So a little clues for you guys, the word rapture isn't actually found in scripture specifically. Cleanliness is next to godliness. This is something that Christians say that my mom told me I think to clean my room. And the third one are lyrics to a Taylor Swift song. If you knew that, I wanna talk to you afterward. And the last one, of course, comes from the book of Ecclesiastes, attributed to the King Solomon who had a lot of wisdom and experienced a lot of aggravation. So far beyond some sort of uh, Bible trivia, just in case you didn't perhaps get all of this right, you're in the right spot, because we're talking about Christian discipleship tonight. The nice thing is it's more than what we just talked about. Discipleship is taking the message of Christ seriously. It's growing more and more like him through study and service and acts of worship, this has been the goal of Christians, especially churches, since our foundation. But that hasn't always meant it's been easy. And we find an example of that in our passage for tonight. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. And as you're turning there, allow me to remind us a little bit about 2 Timothy. So this is one of the many letters ascribed to the Apostle Paul, who founded most of the early churches through missionary journeys and is responsible for most of the New Testament. 
Many of the letters that we find in the New Testament are written by Paul to the churches he helped to plant or cultivate in places like Corinth or Ephesus or Thessalonica. But 2 Timothy is different because it's a letter to a person, not a place. And it was written to, as you might have guessed, a man named Timothy. This is someone that Paul was a long-term mentor of, someone who had journeyed with Paul on many of his missionary stops, who had been sent to represent Paul. And at the time of this letter, it's believed that Paul is imprisoned in Rome and is facing execution. And so these words hold some of his final advice for his protege. He's trying to encourage someone who he hopes will come after him as a leader in the Christian faith. And it's in that situation that we hear these words from 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. It says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I solemnly urge you, proclaim the message. Be persistent whether the time is favorable or unfavorable. Convince, rebuke, and encourage with the utmost patience in teaching. For the time is coming when people will not put up with sound doctrine, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own desires and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander away to myths. As for you, always be sober, endure suffering, and do the work of an evangelist. Carry out your ministry fully. Can I tell y'all the best and worst thing about living in an age of information? You might have already guessed. It's that whatever position you hold, whatever you believe, no matter how outrageous, you can find someone or something somewhere to back you up. And to convince someone of something, all you might need is a podcast or one post or a blogger. And just like that, like the villain in any sort of Marvel movie, reality is what you make it. And this is good and bad news. If we never want to lose an argument again, this is great. If we never want to lose truth, it gets a little harder. And in this letter, Paul is writing to Timothy, one of the first third-generation Christians, someone who was born into a household of faith and is living in a time when the church is gaining real traction. But he doesn't have to live in an age of outrageous information for people to only hear what they want to hear and leave the rest behind. Because we know that. That's intrinsic to our humanity. We would rather be right than almost any other quality. I've only been married like two years and I already know that. Sorry. But studies show that 67% of people hate to admit that they are wrong, could not stand it. And if we took a poll just in this room of how many of us would like to never have to be wrong again for the rest of our lives, I think it would land somewhere around 100%. But it's into that trait that we're called into discipleship. At a time when we willingly let our voices cease and we turn instead to the voice of our teacher, God in Christ Jesus. 
And as we think about all of this passage is calling us to, it starts with recognizing that engaging in discipleship means that we don't have to have the final word. Jesus always does. It means listening to the voice of God more than our own. But how do we do that? Paul warns Timothy about clinging to God's message instead of what we might want to hear or say. And in Scripture, we learn a lot of things about God's voice. In the book of 1 Kings, it tells us that when the prophet Elijah heard the voice of God, it wasn't in the earthquake or the fire or the roaring wind. It was in that still, small voice. So how do we hear that voice? Friends, I don't know if y'all have noticed, our world is kind of loud. It seems that every day there are more and more voices. And I don't, I don't mean in your heads, I mean out in the world. There are more bloggers and more television hosts and, and more posts telling us something new, advertising something that they are marketing as absolute truth. And that's true in our Christian culture as well. So I wear a couple of different hats here at White's Chapel, and one of them is that I am our pastor over our confirmation ministry. So what confirmation is, is it's a time when we invite young people in the sixth grade or older to do a deep dive of their faith. We walk with them through the critical matters of scripture and of church, of the character of God, and we allow them the time to take it seriously. We let them ask their questions and ultimately claim the faith for themselves as they confirm what was said over them at their baptism and enter into the community of the church as full members. And so what that means is that I kind of get a ground level view of what sixth graders are thinking about when they hear about different matters of the faith for the first time, for good and for evil. And so I'm just gonna let you imagine the kind of questions I get a student did ask if they had to be baptized in a Speedo. I did say no. You're welcome. But I wanted to tell y'all about the most common question I get, because they all start the same. And it goes like this. So I saw a video on TikTok the other day, and this person said, insert any theological point ever. What do you think about that? So if you don't know what TikTok is, it's a social media platform where people share videos like anything, it has a lot of capacity for good and for not good. And when you're in the sixth grade, you're not as good at sorting out which is which. So let me give you an example. Two Wednesdays ago, I was leading a small group of confirmands, and as we were drawing clothes to the lesson I'd prepared, I asked them what kind of questions they had. And one girl like leaned forward and she asked, you know how we think that Christ is coming back? And I said, well, yes, that's one of the cornerstones of our faith. We believe Christ will come back and set the world to right. And she said, well, I saw a video on TikTok. And he's coming back next Tuesday. <laughs> so what are we going to do about that? Friend, she was serious. And she's not alone. Timothy was growing up in a time when people began to really shape the message of Jesus into things that weren't always founded on truth or gospel. And accidentally or on purpose, 
that's been part of our Christian culture since then. And that doesn't just affect our young people, our folks who spend a little bit too much time on TikTok. It affects all of us. Because as a pastor, I don't just get questions from sixth graders. I get them on walks with my husband. I get them in texts from my mom. I get them in calls from church members, calling up the church and asking their questions. I get them from my friends who know I went to seminary. Because even though we might not spend all our time on social media, we hear those voices all the time. All kinds of people saying all kinds of things from our Facebook feed, to the books at Barnes & Noble, to our time with our neighbors, to those email chains that we get from family members. And that's not a bad thing. But it means that if we want to, as Paul encourages us, to be able to correct and convince and rebuke and encourage, if we want to proclaim the message of Christ, if we want to live a life marked by discipleship and to ensure that our discipleship is about where God is leading and not just where we want to go, then we need to know how to sort out that good doctrine that Paul is calling us to from those myths that we'll wander to. And so we find four ways in our tradition to do just that. As our world has grown, we don't have to be social scientists to know that people want to hear what they want to hear more than they want to hear truth. And because of that, Christians who came before us have created a way to pan for gold amidst all the sand of all the other voices around us. And so when we hear something or, or read something or see something, we have something to hold on to, a way to ask if this is really God's voice or just what we want to hear. And one of the best tools that we have comes from the Methodist movement as we talk about our blueprint. This was led by John Wesley, who earned the name Methodist because he was so methodical in his approach to faith. In our tradition, we have what's called the Wesleyan quadrilateral. And this might be familiar to a few of you, or this might be the first time you've heard it. And we have it so that when we hear whatever the loudest voice is calling truth, we can pan for gold, we can search for God's voice by asking it these four questions. So we're gonna work through those four questions tonight and see how it might change what we consider discipleship. So the first is, how does it hold up to tradition? As we talk about our blueprint as a church, we're reminded that the first way to discern sound doctrine is to hold up our tradition. This means our heritage, our faith traditions, the things that Christians have done and believed throughout history. This began in Timothy's time, when churches began to put together creeds so that as the, as the Christian movement grew and spread, they could come back to what they knew, that they knew, that they knew, that they knew about God. And we've carried those traditions ever since. We see it in the Apostles' Creed. We see it in the words of the Lord's Prayer. And we're reminded that as we come together and say these words, we don't have to discern God's voice in a void. We have access to a history of people who have served him. Our ancestors in the faith who have journeyed alongside God just like us, all the way back from the time that our scripture was written and beyond. So the first question, 
is, is this a true picture of the faith and gospel that has carried us for the last 2,000 years? How does it hold up to tradition? And the second one is, how does it hold up to reason? So this is an especially important component for a number of reasons, but I saw a clip this week that I think might demonstrate it a little bit better than I can. But this, this comes from a show called Magic for Humans, and it is the story of a person convincing other people that he is magic. I'm sure that you'll see what I mean in just a moment, but let's watch this together. You guys ready to do this? Let's go, let's do it. All right, here we go. Mike, sit up straight. I'm gonna cover you up. Here we go. Don't move. Let's make him invisible on the count of three. One, two, three. And Jonathan is now a believer. You ready? No. All right, here we go. I'm gonna cover you up. Invisible on the count of three. One. Two, Two, three. They did not vanish. You cannot see them or hear them. Let me show you what I mean here. With your right hand, I want you to grab this can. I feel you, I feel you, don't let go. I got it, there we go, perfect, perfect. Nice holding on to it. That's perfect, that's perfect, that's perfect. I'm gonna grab it. Jonathan, we can't see you or hear you, but will you just Grab the can. Yeah, there we go, there we go. There we go. <laughs> and now for the fun part. Shoot, I'm sorry. This will just take one minute. I'll bring, um, it's an emergency. Hey, it's Justin, I'm sorry. Are you ready? Yeah. One, two, three. Oh my God. Let me see. Right there. <laughs> because how how quickly did it take for reason to just fly out the window? All it took for someone to fundamentally change another person's understanding of the world was about 12 actors and a pre-staged photo. Friends, we're invited to have a faith that's a little more rooted in reason than that. One of the most common critiques we get about Christianity is that it's all about feeling and emotion. And that can't be further from the truth. From the time of Deuteronomy, the second book of the Bible, we are invited to love God with our whole heart and our whole soul and our whole mind. God has blessed us with reason. And as we discern what truth is, we're invited to ask, does this stand up to it? Does it make sense? Knowing what I know about God, what I know about the world, where does this align? How does it hold up to reason? And the third question we ask is, how does this hold up to experience? Each and every one of us has a story with God. We are all equipped to sense God's presence, to listen to God's voice, to witness God at work all around us. And our faith is full of people experiencing God, hearing God's voice, answering God's call. And we're asked to practice recognizing God's voice in the world 
Friends, how have you experienced God? How is your family? What about the people that you're walking in faith with? What about the people you look up to? What does God do and say? What does God not do and say? These are questions that we're asked to invite in as we consider what is God's voice and what are those myths that we want to conjure up. So we have tradition and reason and experience, all excellent tools to help us discern that sound doctrine that Paul is asking us to as a church. But I'm sure you might know there's one more we haven't reached. There's a reason why we don't stop there. If we want to make sure that our discipleship is about the teacher and not the student, that we're living into the image of God in us and not making God into our image, there's one more question we have to ask. What Wesley would call the most important one. How does it hold up to scripture? So when we think about the quadrilateral, those four things, they often look like a quadrilateral. They look like this. Reason, scripture, tradition, experience, all four corners of one piece. But a better understanding of what Wesley is describing, what we're taught in seminary, and what we know as Christians, is that it looks a little bit more like this. Scripture is our foundation, and with it we use reason, tradition, and experience. If we want sound doctrine, if we want to be equipped to convince and correct and rebuke and encourage, if we want to engage in healthy God-following discipleship, we have to know God's word. We have to know the stories of people journeying with God. We have to know what our story is. If we're talking about blueprints, then this is our foundation. Being a disciple means being a student. And Jesus is our teacher. And friends, what is scripture if not the teachings of Jesus? That's where sound doctrine begins and ends. The question is, will we use it? Will we read it? Will we live it? And so as we close tonight, I want to share with you all one more thing. The thing that helped me learn what scripture really was the purpose of it, the thing that grounded me in my own journey of discipleship and that will continue to until I see the Lord face to face. So I want each of us to think about the best meal you've ever had, the very best one. Maybe it was a special dinner or maybe it was a meal on a memorable trip, but somewhere, sometime you had an exceptional meal and think about it right now. I can see a few of you nodding. I appreciate that. And now I want you to think about all the meals you've had over the last month. What did you have for lunch today? What about breakfast? What about breakfast three days ago? What about lunch four days ago? All of a sudden, it's a lot harder to remember. And I'm sure you've had a lot of meals over the last month, and some of them were good. I would guess that most of them were average. They were okay. It was the fourth day of meal prep or the cereal that happened to still be in the pantry or whatever you needed. Maybe it wasn't exceptional, but it gave you what you needed to get through the day. And here you are, and over the last month, you've had countless meals, 
And it's what's nourished you to be in this place, giving you the energy to come to church to sit through the last two minutes of my sermon. Friends, that's what the word of God is for us. Each time we open it, sometimes we have that exceptional meal, that life-changing, revelatory moment. But more often than not, it gives us just what we need for the day. As we come to it each and every day, it gives us what we need, filling us with the energy to love our neighbor. It nourishes us into becoming the person that God has called us to be. And so we look around and it's in each of those moments when we feasted on the word of God that made up who we are, that gave us strength, that sustained us. As we talk about discipleship, that's why we don't settle for unsound doctrine. It's not because we want to be right. It's not because we want to win all of the Bible trivia there is. Discipleship is at its best when it's about the teacher. Discipleship is at its best when it's about finding and hearing and experiencing God, taking each and every one of us as students and make us look more like the person who's teaching us. Amen. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, we're so thankful for your presence. We're so thankful that you still move in the world that you created. God, we're thankful that in the midst of all that we have done, all the places that we've been, God, that you are still here inviting us on a greater journey of knowing and experiencing you. So God, we ask that you would help us in being your disciples. We know that that's the identity you have called each and every one of us to, that who we were created to be is in relationship with you. And God, we ask that in the midst of our loud world, you would help us to hear your voice. Help us to use the tools that you have offered us so God, that we might find you and hear you and experience you more clearly. God, we want to proclaim the message. We want to stick to it whether the time is favorable or unfavorable because you are a God who sticks with us in every season. God, we're thankful for your presence here, that you'll journey out with us as we go. God, we invite you into this moment and we ask that you would move. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you don't miss new releases. We'll have new podcasts coming out all the time. Be sure to check us out online at whiteschapelumc.com. Please download the WC Life app and follow us on social media to stay up to date with all things WC.